Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And happy 4th of July, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the CEO Roundtable Show. I'm Fred Perry, your host. Uh, special note, we're going to be in Ashland this morning uh, for the Ashland 4th of July parade. So look for the Fred Perry float. Uh, I um, It's a very large float. It has to be for a man my size. But uh, we're looking forward to being down in Ashland and throwing lots of candy at people. Uh, COVID-free candy, by the way. Uh, happy to welcome to the program this morning. Uh, really excited to have Scott Clardy, who's the Assistant Director of the Columbia Boone County Department of Public Health and Human Services. Scott, good morning to you. Good morning, Fred. Thanks for having me on the show with you. You may be the most recognizable guy in Columbia these days because you're certainly on every <laughs> newscast. Uh, you're quoted in, in a lot of newspapers and articles, and and uh, you uh, thank you for being so accessible to the media. We appreciate that, and sure. and uh, you've done a great job of, of sort of managing this crisis. But uh, um, we want to talk about COVID nineteen and and the impact. There has been a surge in activity uh, in the last uh, uh, couple of of weeks and so we want to talk about let's just start off by talking about the last three months of your life uh how has your perspective on public health changed uh you've been doing this for a lot of years yeah i've been in public health for over 30 years and um this is the first time in all of that time that we've had to use uh some of these uh very extreme powers that the that public health directors have uh, to to do the kinds of orders that unfortunately we've had to do so uh it's 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 been eye opening uh it's even though i've been in it for 30 years it's been my first opportunity to really be involved in using some kind of order like that and uh um i've learned a lot i i hope that between now and the time i retire we never have to do this again uh but uh you know it's been it's been eye opening to see all the different sides of this issue and how it affects people differently and um frankly how bad information can get out and, mm-hmm. and kind of just become like its own virus in out in the community <laughs> and so yeah. and so we uh so so, so it, it's been a learning very much a learning experience but i i love my job and and i i i've treasured every moment of it yeah well you know a lot of the eagles listeners are libertarians and uh, small government no government uh type people and and uh mm-hmm. but you know from your perspective uh if you had your rather yeah, you would you would prefer that that the government wasn't involved that you wouldn't have to be in the position that you're currently in is that right absolutely yeah. absolutely um uh you know the the reason that uh that state laws and and local uh, uh ordinances are written to provide that kind of a quarantine and isolation and and just in general public health authority to the public health director is so that when we get in extreme situations like this, the idea is you take partisan politics out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, that's, we've tried to be, uh, we tried to listen to everybody and consider 
all angles, but in ultimately making our decisions based on the best science we have available to us at that particular time. We're going to talk about face masks uh, in the second segment here, but you know that you mentioned taking the politics, the partisan politics, out of it, and and I think that's one been one of the concerns when you start to hear the mayor and the city council suggest that maybe we need a, a mask ordinance. Uh, you know, we have really learned to rely on the public health director over the last three months uh, for our information. We, we you know we haven't always agreed with the decisions that were made, but mm-hmm. we know that uh, the the local health department is making decisions based on science, based on the best information they have available. So so we'll talk about that when the face mask conversation comes up. But I, I want to kind of shift a little bit to sort of let's talk about the health department's scope uh, and uh, basically how has the health department's efforts changed since COVID-19 first came around in early March. Uh, what's the size and scope of the health department's efforts right now? Uh, so we have, um, we, we've cut back on a lot of the services that we were providing. Uh, in particular, we've cut back on um, the days that our clinic is open. We don't even have walk-in clinic anymore. We only do clinic uh, by appointments. And these, those are things like uh, immunizations, well women exams, those types of things. Um, and we've been using a great deal of that clinic staff to help with the uh, in, in case investigation type work. We've also um, we've we've had to we've had to uh, use some of our environmental health staff to assist with contact tracing. Also, uh, a lot of the work that we were doing, uh, all of the work we were doing around our community health improvement plan, that's all been put on hold as all of that staff is heavily involved in in talking to people who are cases and talking to their contacts and that type of thing. So it, we've tried to maintain the, the essential services. People can still come in and get copies of birth certificates and death certificates. We've continued to keep uh, our WIC services going, uh, and we've continued to do uh, our, our health inspections, our animal control, that type of thing. But a lot of the other work that we were doing has just been put on the back burner by, right now because we're just, you know, 110% on COVID. Yeah. One of our listeners uh, wrote in on Facebook uh, that uh, she wants to know what contact tracing looks like. And and I know that you've got a, a lot of your staff dedicated to uh, mm-hmm. uh, tracing uh, these folks who have been tested, who have tested positive. What, what does that look like in Boone County? Sure. So when we get a, what happens is we get a report from a laboratory that, of a positive case. We contact that individual and among many other things that we talk to them about, we ask them about who they had close contact with. And close contact would be defined as being within six feet of someone for 15 minutes or longer or touching them, either through hugging or shaking hands or, or kissing or whatever. Um, that That's all close contact. And we ask them about who those people are for up to two days before they became uh, positive mm-hmm. or, or became, I shouldn't say became positive, two days before they became symptomatic. And so we get those names and the contact information of those people, and then we start calling those people. Those are the contacts. And we explain to them that they have been exposed to, um, potentially exposed to the coronavirus, and that they may, they may, we ask them if they're already developing symptoms, and if not, uh, they may start developing symptoms, and we then ask them to stay in quarantine for 14 days from the last day that they were exposed to that person. Mm. And 14 days is what, an, what a, an incubation period is for the coronavirus. It's the longest incubation period that we found. Uh, we also offer to them, we, we suggest, we recommend to them that they might, uh, that they should get tested sometime between days seven and nine of the last time they were in contact with that person. That seems to be anywhere from five to nine or so days are when we, when most people tend to, um, 
uh, tend to, 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 to turn positive if they're going to turn positive. Mm-hmm. So we offer that to them too and, and suggest that they do that. If they want to do that, uh, our, our medical director can write them an order and they can go and get that done. That's been pretty effective. Uh, up until just recently, we were doing that at five and 14 days and we were finding that we really weren't catching uh, very many at the 14 day mark. So we decided it would be better to go at seven to nine days and only get tested once and yeah. not use as many testing supplies. But anyway, we have found um, several cases that way uh, through, and, and that's a good thing because that means that we got them while they were in quarantine. We got I make it sound like we captured them. We, <laughs> we found out about them while they were in quarantine. And so we were already limiting their ability to spread. And so that's a really good thing. And we're, we're happy about that, uh, that we're able to find some of these cases uh, before they're out there in the, in, in the community spreading the virus. And just to be clear for our listeners, uh, once you take the initial test and you, you test positive and, and you retest them somewhere between seven and nine days later, uh, mm-hmm. it, that does not count twice. That is just uh, that's one that's person, right. one contact, one positive case uh, that does not yeah. equal two positive cases. That's correct. Okay. Uh, everybody, uh, no matter how many times they test, they, they get tested. If once they test positive, they're counted as one positive case. And in, de- in, in calculating positivity rates and all that, we deduplicate the number of tests also mm-hmm. to make sure that we're only that we're all, always looking at one unique person per test. Yeah. And and so um, so yeah, so that that you are correct. Those are those are individuals, and it's only I might also mention too, Fred. It's only. Um, uh, the uh, what we call the PCR test, which is the nasopharyngeal swab. Mm-hmm. Those are the only tests that we use to confirm cases. We do not use uh, our data does not include any tests that were antibody tests or ser- serological tests. Okay. Uh, it's only the that those are not considered definitive uh, for case identification. They're the positive positive antibody tests are probable cases, but we what we publish are only the confirmed cases that we know are absolutely. Positive, and that's all part of the misinformation that's sort of floating out there. That uh, people it seems think, so. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, so, what are you seeing as a trend? Um, are what percentage of the people would you say that test positive are typically asymptomatic? Not very many. Um, I'll give you an example, Fred. When uh, the state did their testing at Hickman High School, yeah, on the National we Guard, we had yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, with the National Guard, yeah. uh, the, we had around eleven hundred and fifty or so people from Boone County get tested there. Mm-hmm. And out of all of that, we had four come back positive. Right. And one of the big one of the big reasons to have that testing was it gave an opportunity for people who were asymptomatic and and who didn't have an order from a doctor to get tested to go get tested. So that tells us something right there. Uh, the only other asymptomatic people that we would see test positive would be some of these contacts that I talked about that get tested at day seven through nine and may they may not have symptoms yet, but they've gone you know their, their body has enough virus in it that that the test is able to detect at that point but by and large it's almost um, almost all symptomatic folks that, that are getting tested and that are coming back positive one of the the very interesting uh, uh, pieces of data that we received this week is that uh, over 50 percent of the people testing positive here in Boone County are under the age of 30 and then I think uh, mm-hmm. you told us that another 24 percent were between the ages of 20 and 24 uh, I hope I'm not butchering yeah. those numbers but but um, no, you're right is that surprising to you uh, it, it was. It was surprising to us at first, but we've been seeing this trend uh, really since Memorial Day. Um, and uh, we just got off of a call with uh, some other some of the other larger health departments across the state, and they're starting to see the same thing, that the uh, that the cases that are, you know, that they're seeing a higher and higher percentage of, of 
people under the age of 30 or under the age of 25 that are coming back positive. And uh, it's concerning to us um, because what happens is a lot of times these younger folks, uh, they their symptoms are mild. They might not even realize they have symptoms. And they are, and so not, they don't even go get tested, but they're out there with the potential to expose people who could have very grave uh outcomes from from getting in contact with uh, with the covid virus people like um you know their their grandparents or mm-hmm. or a friend of theirs who is immunocompromised or their diabetic uncle or something like that so uh th- that's very concerning to us that we're seeing that that uh, well we would be concerned regardless of the age group but it's even more concerning here because um the fact that we're seeing this many positives means there's probably a lot more of them out there that are positive that aren't symptomatic and they're not getting tested so it, it, it's a huge concern to us. Yeah. What about uh, one of our, our listeners wants to know about the protest uh, that we've been having here in the town. Have you mm-hmm. seen any connection to uh, the, the protest? Have you seen any outbreaks or any tracing that goes back right. to the protests that have been held? Yeah, so I, I, I asked our disease investigators about that this morning because I had a feeling this question might come up. I wanted to make sure I had it correct. The answer to your question is no. We have not seen that. Uh, what, we do, what we do ask uh, when we investigate uh, cases is we talk about what a large gathering of people are, and we talk about things like receptions, graduations protests, those types of things. And so then we, we just, we don't say, have you participated in a pro- protest? We say, have you participated in, or have you been at any large gathering of people like that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we haven't been able to identify. And then if they say so, we ask them about that event and we haven't identified anybody that we, any case that we think is tied back to a protest. Yeah. And I think to be fair, uh, you know, if, if, as you've watched videos and, and newsreels of the protests, it seems like the large majority of those folks are wearing masks. Uh, they're they're not really social right. distancing, but they are at least wearing masks. And so, but you know, we were also surprised about what happened at the lake on Memorial Day, they're, and there really turned out yeah. to be really no after effect uh, to what they saw at the lake. Is that correct? Yeah, not that well, not that we know of. You know, keep in mind that people um, came from all around the state and, and other states to to the lake on Memorial Day weekend. So, and cases are identified by the county they reside in, mm-hmm. not where they had the test or not where. Um, where they were so um but yeah you're correct to our knowledge we haven't seen any significant um clusters of cases associated with the lake that weekend uh, at all nothing like what you would have expected yeah. to see so. that's really you know it just sort of goes against intuition it goes against what you think um would be mm-hmm. uh, a natural you know opportunity for this thing to spread and it just so it's really it's hard to get yeah. your head around this virus well, you know, you know, Fred. Uh, in looking at the pictures that I saw, um, I certainly don't want to characterize everybody, but it seemed like there were a lot, the large majority of people in the pictures I saw were what I would call young people. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, to me, most people are young people, but <laughs> anyone under the age of thirty for right. sure. And um, and considering the fact that they might even they might have it and not even realize they have it, it, it could very well be that there were more cases that are, you know, more positive, more, more people became positive. They just don't know they became positive too, because the symptoms may have been so, so, um, you know, not so severe. Yeah. Well, we are visiting with Scott Clardy, who is the assistant director of the Columbia Boone County Department of Public Health and Human Services. When we come back from this break, we're going to jump into that, that very controversial topic that has dominated the headlines here locally for the last week. We're going to talk about the face mask and, uh, whether or not it helps, uh, trying to wade our way through 
the junk science and everything you read on social media. Uh, we'll get to the bottom of that with uh, somebody who actually has an education in public health, and that's Scott Clardy. Uh, we'll be back after this on the CEO Roundtable. This is Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. your services you're listening to tide columbia with fred perry on hot talk 93.9 the eagle and welcome back to the ceo roundtable i'm fred perry your host this morning we are visiting with scott clardy who is the assistant director of the columbia boone county department of public health and human services and uh, he has been one of the key players in uh, the way that our community has responded to COVID-19 and, and Scott, we appreciate you taking time out on a Saturday morning to spend time with us to talk about this. But, uh, you know, we've had a lot of questions from listeners who have, uh, uh, posed questions on Facebook. And one of the things that I, I, that, you know, in the last week, this whole idea of the face mask has really become a very controversial subject. The mayor, uh, a week ago suggested that he was going to ask the city manager to draft an ordinance. Um, and, uh, uh, it sounds like it's sort of a done deal if you read all the, the press accounts, but we won't know till Monday night. But, but, um, I, I guess it'd be great to get the skinny on face masks because early on, you know, the CDC kind of put out a, a sort of a, I don't know, mixed message about face masks because they said, oh, you don't really need them. And, you know, Dr. Is it Fauci? Am I saying his name right? Uh, Fauci. Fauci, Fauci. yeah. Was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, say, oh, you don't really need it. And then, you know, sort of the response a few weeks later was, well, they didn't want to create a run on face masks. And, and so there's just so much misinformation out there about face masks. And of course, everybody's been posting on Facebook the, the back, uh, the warnings on the backside of the, the carton of face masks saying, uh, warning these face masks will do nothing to prevent COVID-19. So, you know, there's just a lot of stuff floating out there that uh, we need to get to the bottom of. So give us the straight scoop on face mask. Yeah, okay. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. And the way that you just described that is exactly right. Uh, We here at the health department, uh, when this... uh, when COVID uh, started, uh, we felt the same way that uh, CDC did, and we didn't think the face masks were effective. Um, and we had seen some very, very limited studies showing that, in fact, they were they were just the opposite. That some of the people who wore face masks were more likely to to contract uh, or to, to yeah to contract the virus. Mm. But what has happened since then is uh, um, that there have been some very robust uh, studies that have been that have come out that look at much larger uh, groups of people so that you get more statistical significance out of the findings. We've seen a study that came out of Hong Kong, uh, one that came out of Australia, and one that has just come out of Europe. And uh, the the uh, you know the, the conclusions are are are. are Pretty, pretty undeniable. It does show that when you have, when face masking is uh, used, that you see less transmission of virus. It's even less if you use face masking in conjunction with social distancing. Uh, so yes, we have really in the last two weeks um, kind of done an about face here and have changed our uh, have changed our, our tune on on what we think about face masks. Our medical director was one of the most uh, vocal. Uh, opponents of face masks and i was just talking to her this morning and she made the comment that you know she can't deny the good science now and so 
so that that's that's what's happened. Uh, Coronavirus, COVID is a, is caused by a novel virus by definition. That means it's new. That means we don't know a whole lot about it, and so we learn more and more about it as we progress through time. And that's what's happened with the issue with face masks. Um, you know, we we learn something new every day. Some days we learn something new every hour about about the virus. So that's the skinny on yeah. on uh, face masks. Well, we do it, believe that 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 the science is pretty clear now. Put it in layman's terms. Why why do the face masks work? Uh, so you know, I, I think that uh, I mean, what is and and maybe you're going to have to get gross here to to answer that question. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. why why does it work? What it does is it prevents, like when I speak or I sing or I cough or I sneeze, um, I am emitting droplets out of Mm -hmm. my nose or my, my mouth. And that's how this particular virus is spread is through these droplets. And so what this mask does is it keeps my droplets on my side of the mask and keeps it from keeps people from uh, keeps my droplets from infecting other people or going towards other people. I'm not, it doesn't really protect me from other people, but it does protect other people from me. That's why we, we, you know, wearing a mask is really um, more about being considerate of others than being protective of yourself. And uh, so, so that's how it works. Okay. So the virus, uh, and I know there's still a lot we don't know about the virus, but if it, uh, if the droplet uh, mm-hmm. gets into your eye or uh, into your body some other way, skin contact. Well, I mean, what what is it that's actually happening? I mean, yeah, yeah. So what happens is it, uh, it, it yeah it can come in through a mucous membrane, which would be your eyes, your nose, your mouth. One of the most likely ways that it would be it would come in, and and what happens is that it's just like any other cell in your body. It starts replicating. It starts dividing. the 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 DNA in that cell will will trigger it to start um, to start dividing, and uh, then it, it once it gets uh, the, the virus can impact the lungs and can cause some breathing problems. It causes infection and causes fever that way. So. That's what happens, and and uh, so your body tries to attack that by uh, attaching antibodies to that virus, and, um, and and trying to attack the virus that way. It seems as though these antibodies probably work a little bit younger, better in younger people than in older people, which is not uncommon. In, in general, immune systems work better in younger people than in old people. So that's why yeah. uh, you know an antibody test. If you see the positive antibody, that means that you've had it because it, 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 your body has produced those antibodies. But um, it doesn't mean you currently have it. Right. So if you're wearing the mask, uh, you are reducing the likelihood that your droplets are going to get on somebody else. Uh, and uh, if you're wearing the mask, uh, it, it kind of eliminates two of the three mucous membranes uh, that you yes. can. So it covers your nose and your mouth and, and uh, doesn't cover your eyes. But that's what the face shield is for, I guess, if you want to uh, mm-hmm. go all out. But uh, so mm-hmm. that's so. And you think that's that is. Uh, Based on your education, your understanding, that's the science behind the face mask, and, and the face mask do absolutely make a difference. Can you can you confirm that? Yes. Okay. Yes, based on the three studies that I reviewed this weekend. Yes, and I've I've double checked with our medical director. She's a physician. She's reviewed the studies, and she agrees. Okay. All right. So that uh, I I I doubt that that will put the issue to rest, but uh, I yeah, doubt for, it also <laughs> for for folks that are listening. I mean, I just you know I. I I mean, we, we just have to sort of accept the science. And I think that one of the things about the, uh, the face mask debate is that to me, uh, 
I would take that as a, and, and I know that this is not on the table, uh, to, to do any compromising or trading here. Uh, but if I, we're told I had to wear the face mask or we're going to have to shut down businesses again. Uh, I would mm-hmm. gladly wear the face mask. I don't want to see our businesses mm-hmm. shut down again. Uh, talk about that. I mean, what is that an option or what, what are we sure. thinking? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that, Fred, because what we're seeing is, you know, in, in the cases that we're seeing come up now, not all of them, but the majority of them are um, people I shouldn't even say the majority, but a significant number of them are people who are just simply not social distancing. Mm-hmm. And right now, that's all we have to fight this virus. We don't have a vaccine. Um, you know, we, we, we proved that if we keep people away from each other, we, we don't have any cases. We have very few cases. That, that was shown. We showed that in April. But uh, the, the, the cases that we're seeing now are, are people just not social distancing. And we're hearing stories about people going to baseball games and setting, you know, elbow or uh, shoulder to shoulder with someone they don't even know. Um, we have had issues with some of uh, the, uh, uh, the establishments downtown not following appropriate social distancing plans that they themselves developed and gave to us and we approved, but they weren't following them. Uh, people are going out and socializing and drinking out of the same cup and hugging and, and doing all kinds of things that we, we've said over and over again are not a good idea. So what we are doing at this point is we are appealing to the entire community and to all of our businesses and asking them to please do the right thing here. We do not want, I want to be very clear about this, we do not want to have to go back to shutting down businesses and doing stay-at-home orders and all that type of thing. But people have got to work with us or, or something's going to have to give. You know, I don't know what will happen. But at this point, we do have, we, you know, we, our, our director, Stephanie Browning, had talked to this Columbia City Council and to the commission about a reopening plan. And we are at the step right now where we would have mass gatherings of 100 people. And the next step would increase that to 250 people. We're to the point now that we've decided to put a pause on that plan and uh, not really go forward with increasing it to 250 people for at least another three to four weeks until we can see, you know, what's going to happen as we go forward. Um, we just really, again, it's an appeal to the community and to businesses to, to please make sure we're social distancing. And, and if you're sick, stay home. We, we've, had, we've had people who were sick, who were symptomatic, go to birthday parties with 30 people there, you know, things like that. And, and that just, that has to stop because all it really takes is one Friday night at a, you know, at a, at a play at an establishment downtown where people are shoulder to shoulder. And all of a sudden we have a small, you know, an outbreak associated with people there. And then in the meantime, they're giving it to a whole bunch more people. And we see a severe spike all of a sudden in the community. And that came from one event where people did not social distance. So uh, I don't know if that's happened yet. I'm not saying that's happened yet, but it, it's absolutely in the realm of possibilities. And so, um, so that's, that's a, that's an important message I wanted to come on here and, and yeah. make today is Please work with us on yeah. that. You know, one of the things that I've tried to do on Facebook every day is just add a little perspective, a little context to the numbers so that people have an understanding. But but I got to tell you, there is an extreme amount of data and it, it's hard yeah. to dissect and hard to get your head around it. But one of the pieces of data that has, has come out, you know, that I think is, is really relevant that I, you know, have done a poor job of really talking about is that, you know, we uh, since March 12th, uh, you know, we've had a 1.8 percent positive test rate. So one. 1.8% of the people who are actually getting tested are testing uh, positive. Uh, but you've mm-hmm. seen a, uh, an amazing, dramatic turnaround in that number in just the last 10 days. You want to talk a little bit about that? 
Sure, sure. So uh, we started looking, uh, beginning on May 1, we've been looking at um, uh, the posit- what you're describing is the positivity rate. And it is, as you described, it's the number of positive tests divided by the total number of tests. And if we look at that for just people who from Boone County who were tested, uh, we've been looking at that since May 1st, and we've done, been doing a looking at a positivity rate every seven day for every seven day period. So in that first seven day period, our positivity rate was 0.4 percent. So less than one percent of the people who were being tested were coming back positive. Uh, the positivity rate for our past seven days, starting yesterday, is now 12.2 percent. Wow! So that is a huge increase. It, 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 it very clearly shows um, that that you know more and more people are are are, are positive. Uh, and I know there's been some questions about numbers of people being tested. Uh, we we do have a lot of people being tested. Uh, we're, we're fortunate in this community that we have two hospital systems, well three with the VA, that really stepped up and did some drive-through testing events and made testing very available for people. And then we have a local laboratory that was able to turn results around extremely quickly, like in a day or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a luxury that a lot of the communities across the state didn't have. But because of that, we've been able to do quite a bit of testing here. And uh, that's really, that, that makes these numbers even more significant to us. So the state director of health, Randall Williams, Dr. Randall Williams, has said when our positive testing rate hits 10%, we need to get really concerned as a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to talk about that? Why, why that 10% number is so important? Well, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, Fred, I'm not sure where he got that from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 haven't, I haven't heard him talk about that. But certainly, besides that, we are definitely very concerned right now. That's the reason that, uh, that I wanted to come on your show today and ask people to work with us. That's the reason that we're putting a pause on our reopening plan at this point. We need to, we need to get people's attention and, get, and, and ask people to work with us, or else we're going to have to start reverting back and doing some things we don't want to have to do. Yeah if we want to make the decision that we're going to control the virus in Boone County. So to be clear, uh, the health order that was currently in effect uh, was uh, the occupancy limit was supposed to increase, I think, on July 24th, up to 250 maximum. Right now we're at 100 maximum. Uh, But there is a delay on that now, so uh, we will have to revisit that in, in a few weeks and see how things are going. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't expect that. Uh, don't expect that order to change. The current order to change and increase to two hundred. Yeah. Okay. Very It'll good. Stay at one hundred. We are visiting with Scott Clardy, who is the assistant director of the Columbia Boone County uh, Health Department of Public Health and Human Services. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the surprises in this community uh, that uh, have happened as a result of COVID nineteen. And we'll talk about maybe a timeline for a vaccine and, and advice for parents who are contemplating whether or not to send their kids back to school this fall. This is Fred Perry. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. He looks serious. Inside Columbia with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. 
And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable. Fred Perry, your host this morning. Glad that you have joined us on this beautiful 4th of July. And just a reminder, uh, starting at 9 o'clock, you'll uh, see us in the Ashland 4th of July Parade. That's a great tradition down in Southern Boone County. Proud to be a part of that. We are visiting with the Assistant Director of the Columbia Boone County Health and Human Services and uh, see Public Health and Human Services Department, Scott Clardy. And uh, Scott, once again, I really appreciate you taking time out on a holiday to, to join us and, and get the word out about what's happening in Boone County with COVID-19. Um, I want to encourage uh, everybody to check out uh, my Facebook page every day. I usually do an update and try to add some context. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I do a little video, Facebook Live. But, um, you know, we're just trying to keep uh, information is power. And I think that that is something that is um, the more you know and the more you avoid the fake news and the junk science, uh, the better we are all going to be able to, to deal with this uh, pandemic in our community. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about um, one of the things that people say, and, and I, I understand this, is that, hey, you know, uh, it is tragic, but we've only had two deaths in a, in a, in a community of 180,000. Um, we, uh, have had such few hospitalizations. And I want to talk about hospitalizations because right now, I think, uh, this week we were down to, at one point we were down to six people in local hospitals, uh, that were Boone, Boone Countyans. Uh, I think we were, we had uh, as many as 13 or 14 people total. Uh, but, Talk about the death rate and the hospitalization rate, because obviously uh, people have not been sick enough to go to the hospital. What, what typically makes that? What, where's that line there? Uh, well, that's that, that, it's a physician's decision, but it's really if the person is having trouble breathing to the point that they're they're. Their pulse ox, you know, the, the amount of oxygen in their blood mm-hmm. uh, starts dipping down to a dangerous level. Uh, that's a lot of times what will be, or if they have a, an extremely high fever or something like that. That's what we've seen most hospitalizations do, or, or perhaps it has aggravated an existing condition like the chronic obstructive uh, pulmonary disease or COPD or a cardiac illness or something like that. Uh, so, uh, so those are typically the things that we see hospitalizations for. Um, and it's typically, uh, it's not always, but it's typically in those, those vulnerable populations that we've talked about so much. I think that one of the reasons that we have seen, there, there are several reasons that we have not seen um, more hospitalizations and more deaths. Uh, if you'll remember, uh, our very first patient was our first death. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was unbelievably tragic. And uh, I, I think about it every day. But uh, we're fortunate that we've only had one more death since then. And um, I think there's so one of the reasons is that we were not the first place that that the coronavirus showed up. We got to see how it was acting in China, how it was acting in Europe, and what it was doing on the, the two coasts of the United States before it actually hit Missouri. Mm-hmm. So that gave us a little bit more time to plan. We worked very closely with the hospital systems, with the university. We had uh, universities, all of them, but uh, people took some pretty swift actions. We, you know, the the university sent the students home. Uh, we uh, we had a stay at home order, I think within seven days or so of uh, the first order. And and so uh, we took some pretty quick actions and got it under control pretty quickly. Couple on top of that, the fact that we have um, many, many healthcare providers here in this community. Um, while access is still an issue for, for many people, the number of healthcare providers is not a problem here in this community. So we have excellent healthcare resources in this community. That helped. And then what I've already mentioned, and that is the fact that we had uh, ample 
testing available uh, from almost from the get-go and had a very, had a local lab that was able to do turnaround in about 24 hours. Mm-hmm. That helped us get a handle and characterize cases in this community much more quickly than other places in the state and allowed us to put actions in place much more quickly to, that were protective. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the main reasons why that we haven't seen it be any worse in this community than it has been. So we've had 18 people, uh, I think 18 Boone Countyans, hospitalized uh, over the last three months at one point or another. Uh, one of those 18 patients was actually under the age of 30, just one. Uh, so this That's is, right. um, uh, do we, what does that tell us? Does that tell us that, that maybe younger people are more resilient uh, to this type of virus? I think it absolutely says that. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, CDC, just this past week or so, within the past week, has kind of changed their um some of what they're saying about vulnerable vulnerable groups. They had said folks over 65 are a vulnerable group. They've really kind of backed off of that. And what they're saying now is basically, as you get older, your risks increase. And that's, that's you know, again, we've learned more. We've gotten smarter. We've, we've been able to analyze more cases, more data. And that's, that's really what it's showing. So really just um, age is a risk factor also. And um, what about the you know, comorbidities? What, uh, what about the, the folks with diabetes yeah. and other things? Are, are, is, do they still, does the CDC still consider those folks to be high risk? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. People with diabetes, chronic uh, respiratory illnesses, uh, cardiac illnesses, uh, being overweight, uh, many, I think I mentioned diabetes, uh, many, many types of, we're just finding more and more of um, uh, anything that, really anything that, makes your health less than optimal can make you more it's appearing though as though that that can make you a greater risk of a of a worse health outcome from being exposed to coronavirus if you spend any time at all on facebook uh, you will see a lot of people uh talking about uh, the comparison between COVID-19 and the uh, the common flu, influenza A or, or whatever it is that we have here. Um, how do you, as a health professional uh, educated on the subject, how do you react to that? What is the difference between, uh, because the assertion is that a lot more people are dying of the flu than they are COVID-19. How do you respond to that? I would say that that's that if you look at hard numbers, yes, probably more people are dying from the flu because more people are getting the flu. But if you look at if of all the people who get the flu, the percentage of those people that are dying are much less than the percentage of people that are dying from COVID. Uh, not necessarily in this community for the reasons we talked about, but overall, that is certainly the trend. Uh, and so we do consider it a, a much more serious uh, illness than flu. And in, and in addition, we have a vaccine for the flu that we don't have for coronavirus yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, it's going to be really, imp- this, this, this flu season is going to be really important for us to get as many people vaccinated as possible so that we aren't trying to figure out if people have the flu or have coronavirus and, um, and, and God forbid, have them both at the same time. Uh, you know, that could be just really devastating for, you know, someone like my dad who's 85 years old and in a, an assisted living center. I don't think he could recover from it. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's going to be really important. We're going to be doing a lot of flu, uh, flu vaccine clinics and that kind of thing this year to try to try to get as many people vaccinated as we possibly can. I heard that the VA, I think you told me the VA is going to actually uh, use this drive-through approach that they've been using for testing mm-hmm. to, to administer vaccine, flu vaccines. Is that uh, something that that's you'll see? That's my understanding. Will that happen with other yeah, hospitals? 
I don't know. Uh, yeah. We'll have to, you know, that'll be up to the hospitals. We'll have to see. Uh, well, it's going to depend on a lot of things, including the availability of the vaccine, how much, when it's available, how much is available, all that type of thing. Um, but um, I, I, we haven't, we haven't broached that subject with them yet, so I can't really, yeah. can't really speak to that right now. When will we know if we're going to have enough vaccine? For the flu? Yeah, for the flu. Yeah, for uh, the flu. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, we're not. So what we're being told right now, they're not expecting any shortages. Uh, It just, you know, it doesn't all become available at once. And so we kind of have to watch for it. It should start becoming available actually next month now in August. Okay. And um, so and but as we go on in the fall, more and more is available, too. So uh, we haven't been given any indication that we're expecting a shortage of vaccine this year. What are they telling you about a COVID-19 vaccine? What uh, anything in the pipeline? Well, what I hear is that in, is uh, that they believe some vaccine may be available this fall, but it, they don't think it's going to be very much at all. And uh, what we're hearing from the CDC is that if that is does become available, it's going to be prioritized for certain uh, groups who uh, groups of people who are in what we I hate to use this word, but essential type positions like healthcare providers. Uh, so it'll be it'll be prioritized for them. Uh, I wouldn't look for a widespread availability of the vaccine to be available. Um, certainly not until after the first of the year, and I think next spring is is a much more accurate uh, number based on what I'm hearing right yeah. now. Let's talk about, uh, uh, of course, the school district has been in the news uh, a lot this week also, um, yeah. which takes some attention off you guys, I guess. But but uh, sending kids back to school um, and, you know, some of the, the guidelines that we're starting to hear, uh, parents have a choice whether or not their kids will participate online or in person. Um, what advice would you give parents who are trying to make that decision? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think you have to consider your own child's uh what is best for your own child? You know, it's certainly if you have a child with a pre-existing condition or something that would make them more vulnerable to exposure to the coronavirus, I would consider keeping them home. And certainly if they go to school, making sure that they, you know, that they, they are social distanced all the time and, and you know, uh, don't go to school when they're sick and wash their hands and all the other things that we've been talking about since March. Wear a mask. Uh the so that would be the first thing there are but there are other things to consider you know some children don't do well with um you know with e-learning and and some kids need the uh the, need the social aspect that comes with school and need the personal interaction with a teacher that comes with school so um you know i don't i don't have a a, a, a pat answer for one way or the other i think if it, you know i don't have kids that are school-age kids anymore but if i did i would have to consider uh, you know what each what their individual needs were and what type of education would work the best for them. I can tell you, Fred, we've heard from parents very passionate about this on both sides of the issue. Um, we've heard from parents saying, please don't let us, don't don't um, do anything to, where we have to send our kids back to school. And then we have parents who have asked us, you know, please make sure that the kids ha- can't have to go back to school. They need the interaction. They need, they need to be around each other um, and those types of things. So it's, it's something that is very divisive in the community. And I really applaud the Columbia Public Schools for coming up with, a, with an option like this. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty uh, stupendous. We only have two minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, uh, now we're entering the fifth month of uh, COVID-19 here in mid-Missouri. Uh, looking back over the last four months, um, what's your biggest takeaway? Uh, any regrets? Uh, anything that has surprised you? Uh, anything that you wish you would have done differently uh, from a public health standpoint? What, what are your thoughts looking back? Hindsight's twenty twenty. 
Yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, I think that uh, looking back, we could have probably maybe done a better job of when we when we made some changes in our orders. We could have done a better job of explaining why we were making those changes, so there would have been better public acceptance. Um, I think that uh, we would have been better prepared. For instance, when we uh, did the stay-at-home order, I think we, if we had to do over again, and we have it now, we would have been better prepared on uh, having definitions of an essential and non-essential businesses. Mm. Uh, that's something that we've learned that we had to learn very quickly um, and uh, and and define very quickly. Of course, everything in this whole event has moved faster than the speed of light. It feels like, and uh, so. Um, but we have that now. We've learned from that. Um, I think that uh, something that surprised me, I think, is that is how quickly uh, people have some people have um, basically dismissed social distancing uh, once we started yeah. opening things up. Yeah. And that's um, that, I, re- I genuinely am surprised about that. I, I am just as anxious to get out and go do things as anybody else's. Believe me. Yeah. People do not like being told what to do. Scott Clardy, Boone County Health Director, Assistant Health Director uh, in the uh, Columbia Boone County Department of Public Health and Human Services. We appreciate your time this morning. Uh, Happy Fourth of July to all of our listeners out there. We'll be back next Saturday morning with another CEO Roundtable. Uh, And we'll see you down in Ashland this morning uh, in the Fourth of July Parade. So please be sure to say hello uh, if you see us down there. This is Fred Perry. You've been listening to the CEO Roundtable. This is Hot Talk 93.9 The Eat. It's my city, and I love it, yeah, I love it.